the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Our series, Meet Your God, begins to wind down with today's program, God the Son. His death is on the table. Join us. Truth For Today is up next. been a marvelous series, Meet Your God. We've taken a look at God from various angles and directions, and today we begin our final descent to the last of these studies. God the Son, His death. Why is this so important, and why do we need to understand this atoning work for you and I? Well, these are questions we'll answer for you today and tomorrow, so please join us. Here's Pastor Phil Howard with today's broadcast of Truth For Today. Turn, if you will, to Acts chapter 2 as we launch into these topical studies. I don't develop any one text, as you know, but I provide you these notes. Uh, Keep them. We're going to sell them later. Yours may be valuable when we get through and put them together so we can all remember where we've been. As we look at this subject, you have to ask the question, why would God ever have to die? Why is it necessary? Did God die? Sometimes there was a death of God movement that said God died. And what they meant is truly everything up there called God died. And, of course, that did not happen. But it is an astounding statement you can say there was a point in history where one of the members of the Godhead died in the human nature. He died a real death. We want to look today at why that happened and uh, who was responsible for it. And let's just begin. Just two passages I want to read to you from Acts. Chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross." But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Chapter 4, verse 23. Peter is released from prison, having healed the man at the gate called Beautiful. And it says, on their release, in verse 23, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priest and elders had said to them, When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. 
Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. The death of Christ was not uh, the reign of a vicious mob. The death of Christ sprung from eternity past. It was not an accident. It was a plan. And the event was planned by all three members of the Godhead. The Old Testament prophets spoke that there would be one that came that was Messiah, and he would bleed and he would die. And I give you some part of the notes, Old Testament prophecies, uh, identifying all these different events about the life of Christ. Could not be accidental. But you see that from eternity past, as we see Revelation 13, 8, In 1 Peter 1, Christ was slain as a lamb from before the foundation of the earth. It was God's ordained plan that one of the members of the Godhead should die. I like to imagine it this way, that at some point in eternity past, when they decided that they would create angels, that they would create matter, that they would create the present cosmos as far as creation, not the devil system, but order, matter, earth, terra firma, sea, that before they embarked on this, did they know that if they created free moral agents that they would rebel? When they created man and when they created angels, they were not robots. They knew that when they created them, they would have the power to choose. But they went ahead and created knowing what they would choose. It reminds me of folks that want to have children, and they're going to father prodigies. They're going to father quasi-semi-geniuses because they don't know what they're going to get. And if you would have known what you were going to get, you may have never had them. But it's too late. That is said by a tender father who loves his children. But you don't know. When you have that baby, you don't know if it's Al Capone or Billy Graham to be. You think you do, but you don't. And it won't be just your home is so great, everybody in this home turns out to be a Christian. It doesn't work that way. It takes more than good environment. God's got to do something to a rebel's heart. But God back here, back here, before on the brink of eternity in a time that I think, you know, if we create angels, God and the Father and the Son and the Spirit already know one third of them are going to rebel. Should we go ahead and create? He said, well, we're going to create and permit them to fall if they choose to. We're going to create man in our own image, but we're going to give him the power of choice. And we know that inside there's going to be a seducer and there's going to be a choice. Do we want to go ahead and create something that will rebel against us? They did. They were not caught off guard. They didn't say, oops, at the garden. They knew. God's not learning anything, friends. He knows everything from the beginning. He knows the end. He knows all the 
the possibilities in between. But in the midst of that, they looked at each other, said, let's make some decisions. Number one, what are we going to do about angels that rebel? They agreed among themselves, no redemption. No redemption. We're not going to rescue angels. If they choose to rebel, they're going to be forever banished. Then they came up to mankind. What if mankind rebels? What should we do? And it was decided, let's rescue. Let's figure out a way how to get the rebels back. Let's figure out a way that all will not be lost. And let's figure out a way so that mankind that sins can come back into a right relationship. And then they begin to discuss among themselves, I imagine. And all of a sudden, the plan came up. One of us would have to die. The father said, you know what? I'll demonstrate my love for rebels by giving a sacrifice. And I can imagine the son, the Holy Spirit, looking at each other. Who's the sacrifice? (laughs) I'm just playing this out. Now, each are co-eternal and co-powerful. None could be made to do it. The Holy Spirit could as easily have died and taken on a human nature as the Son. But it was the Son that would bear a human nature. And so the Father says, I love enough to give. And God the Son says, I love enough to be the sacrifice. And Father, if you want a sacrifice, I will be the sacrifice. And so you read, for God the Father so loved the world that he gave up his only unique son. That was his love. And you read of the love of the son. The son loved the Father so much, I submit to do whatever you will. For you yourself, Genesis 22 says, will provide a lamb. And God the Father provided a lamb. Now, The prophets prophesied in Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, that Messiah would suffer. He said all the way back there in Genesis 3.15 to Adam and Eve, there is a seed coming out of you, Eve, that will crush the head of the serpent, and the serpent will crush him. And so they knew way back there in Genesis, someone was coming that would do war with Satan and his plots. Now, who were the persons responsible for the death of Christ? Uh, as you look at Acts 4 and these other passages, you've got Herod, uh, the Gentile ruler representing Rome, Pilate. He says, the Gentiles, the people of Israel. I think we've got to watch as Christians. Sometimes we'll speak, uh, the Jews killed Jesus. Wait, 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 not just the Jews. Herod. Pilate, the Gentiles, the people of Israel. It's, it's very anti-Semitic if you just say they're Christ killers. No, no, no. We'll, we'll see that uh, as we go through here that don't just say that's only one group. But the Gentiles were responsible also. Uh, Satan had a part in the death of Christ. He was that seed of the serpent. He was the seed that set out. The prince of this world came against Christ. And so he had a part in energizing uh, Judas. He filled his heart to sell out the Son of God. He thought it would be his day of greatest triumph. By the way, the devil doesn't know everything. He seems omniscient in your life because if he just listened to you, he'd know everything. We tell him everything. 
But he cannot read your mind. He can plant thoughts in the mind, but he cannot read your mind. He does have limitations. And, and don't tell him everything. Uh, something that is astounding about the death of Christ is God the Father takes responsibility for it. When you read in Isaiah 53, it says, you need to just turn that, it's in your notes, but I like just seeing it on the page. Isaiah 53, describing the death of Messiah, that he's wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, chastisement that brought us peace was laid upon him, and he's telling about all this opposition to him. And then when you come to verse 10, it says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Whose will was it? God the Father, Yahweh God said, It pleases me to crush him. It is my will to bruise my own son. I will make my son a guilt offering. He will give his life in the place of the guilty. And it pleases me that this is happening. Because God not only saw the pain of the cross, he saw the gain that would come from it. He saw the end result. And so God the Father was active there. You hear God the Father being cried to, My God, my God, why are you forsaking me on the cross? I do not believe God utterly forsook his son, but the son felt abandoned. He felt the loneliness of the assignment. He cried out in the garden with tears, I want to escape this assignment in my humanity, but I've said to the Father from before the foundation of the earth, I accept it. I'll do it. So you go throughout Scripture that the Father provided the Lamb. The Father spared not his own Son. The Father gave his Son. So the Father was active in the death of his own Son. You find in Hebrews that by the power of the Spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a cleansing, purging sacrifice. So he was relying on the Spirit's power to get him to the cross and carry through the assignment, much as in his own temptation. Then you're you're amazed that God the Son had a part in his own death. He, He volunteered for it. He chose it. And you see these verses. He humbly submitted to the cross, and yet he opened not his mouth. He didn't argue with Pontius Pilate. He did not argue with Herod. He did not argue with Cephas. He did not put up arguments. And they said, he's like a dumb sheep. Can he not talk? Can he not defend himself? And he says, I offer no defense. And when Peter decided to do a little carving of the turkey, and chop off Malchus' ear, uh, Jesus said, you need to put your sword back, Peter. How come? If I wanted to, I could call on 12 legions of angels. It's amazing. He said 12. He could have called all of them. But you know, it's estimated that a Roman legion usually was 6,000 soldiers. One time I did the mathematics on this. In the Old Testament, when Sennacherib was going to kill Israel, The angel of the Lord killed 185,000 soldiers in one night. And I often thought if you took 12 legions of angels, 6,000, and, you know, what's that, 72,000 times 185,000, you'd kill a lot of folks. You'd kill this world several times over. They didn't have that many people on the globe. 
In essence, he's saying, I've got all the power I need to get out of this if I want it to be delivered. And then he said to his sheep in John 10, by the way, when I go to the cross, know this, no man takes my life. What does that mean? No man is in charge of my death, ultimately. I'm going to let Pilate do what he wants. I'm going to let the Roman soldiers do what they want. But if I wasn't willing, you could not kill me. John 10. He said, I can lay it down of my own accord, and I can take it up of my own accord. So God the Son participated voluntarily in his own death when he had all the power to escape if he wanted to. I often think about that, that if Christ had gone to the cross uh, fighting the soldiers and, and like I'm caught and I'm stuck and I'm here, it would ruin it for you, wouldn't it? I mean, if you could see him on the cross, that's the way some of you submit. Uh, I'll submit. Now, that's not submission. That's torture. Submission is voluntary. If you make me do it, I didn't submit. You just subjected me. I can do a lot of things for a big guy with a gun. But it doesn't mean I submitted. But Christ submitted. And he's our example, Peter says, in how to suffer in the will of God. Suffer like Christ. I didn't put one other person. I should have put you on number nine. Jesus Christ died for our sins. 1 Corinthians 15.3. Now that may insult you if you think you're a very nice person. But I usually don't insult most people that come to this church. We all accept the fact we were sinners. If you need proof of that, see me after the service. We'll show passages that you are a sinner without Christ and that God does not view us as nice people he died for, but as those who rebelled against him and broke his commandments. Now, why should Christ have to die? What could be accomplished? Lewis Chafer lists 14 things. My prof in school listed 22 things. I'll give you four. Four things a sinner needs in order to cure his problem. We've got a great problem. There's four needs of the sinner. Just scratch out that first B. We just thought it was so good we duplicated it. But uh, just scratch out that first one. We pick it up later. Uh, four things about us as sinners. We deserve to die as the penalty for sin. Over and over, the penalty for sin is death. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth shall die. If you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall die. We deserve to die. That's over and over said in the word of God. Two, we deserve to bear God's wrath against us. I like to preach one of these mornings on meet God the Father's wrath. Why does he have wrath? Now, I love the psalmist that said his wrath is but a moment, but his loving kindness is forever. But God does have wrath. He has outrage against that which is against him, against broken commandments. And he says, you and I are worthy of his wrath. We earned it by our behavior, our sinfulness. That's the whole race. 
Thirdly, we are separated from God by our sins. The great divorce that took place at the garden is exactly what Michelangelo was trying to paint in the Sistine Chapel. He's trying to show the hands that were divided, a hand reaching through the cloud, and Adam's hand removed because a divorce took place at the garden. We filed the divorce. I don't want God. And God shows up, Adam, where art thou? And if he'd given an insane answer, he'd say, I'm running from a God who gave me everything. I'm running from a God that I don't like one prohibition. I'm running from the God that gave me my wife. I'm running from a God that gave me paradise. I'm running from a God who made me in his image. I'm running from a God that created me to worship him and take care of a garden. I'm running from you because you gave me one prohibition and I don't like to be told what to do. And so a divorce took place in Genesis 3. And the rest of the race and the rest of history is mankind living without his God because he filed a divorce in the garden. We need reconciliation intervention. Finally, uh, we are in bondage to sin. If you ever read Luther's great treatise, The Bondage of the Will, you would find out man is not born free. He's born in a cage. He's born in a dungeon. He's got the ability to choose, but he's a slave to sin. He's a slave to Satan. He does the will of his father, the devil, and he does not know how to do any other will. He thinks it's his will, but the God of this age energizes us to stay in the cage and to keep doing the will of this anarchist against God. It's the human dilemma that you can't educate out of a man. You can't build nice enough houses to get rid of it. Any nice place will turn into a ghetto once sinners have been there long enough. Because it's our human condition. But God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit said the only way man could get back and get in favor with God is through the benefits of the death of the second person of the Godhead. First thing, to take care of what we deserve to die, God says, I'll give my son as a sacrificial substitute. I'll let him die for sinners. I'll let him die in the place of sinners. I'll let him die instead of sinners. I'll give my son as a sacrifice, not just a criminal, as it were, on a cross, not just a body hanging on a middle tree, but there is an intended sacrifice. The altar of the Trinity was the cross, not a temple where bullocks and lambs were slain. But God chose an old rugged cross where his son would be treated like a curse to be his altar of sacrifice for a race. From the garden to a cross. But the cross is the only way back to paradise. He has appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Propitiation. It's a great word. We don't use it a lot because it has over three syllables. <laughs> and we watch TV, so we haven't learned to spell. It's a wonderful word. Expand your vocabulary. Don't dumb down your mind. 
We don't need to be stupid about the Bible. God doesn't have to rewrite the Bible. We got to figure out what he said. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Our time today spent in God's Word to encourage you, to bring you truth for today. If you have questions or comments about our time together, we would invite you to write to us. You can either visit our website and drop us an email, write to us via U.S. mail, or give us a call. Another way to reach out to us with your questions would be to simply record them on your voice memo app on your smartphone, and then email that audio to tftquestions at valleybible.org. Our phone number is 855-833-9864. Our website, truthfortodayradio.org. And if you're writing to us, the address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. If you have questions about the ministry of Truth For Today and how we are funded to air on this radio station, we would love to talk with you. We are listener-supported, quite simply, and no gift is too small, no gift is too large. Whether it's a one-time gift or a monthly gift, it all goes back into the radio ministry, ensuring that it airs on this radio station. So would you consider that as you reach out to us here at Truth For Today? Another note as we close out our time today, while Pastor Phil is the pastor emeritus at Valley Bible Church in Hercules, we are still very much a part of this body. And if you are looking for a church, we would invite you to join us. Now, we know that this current crisis has us all sequestered away. So you can join us at valleybible.org, where we stream our services. Again, valleybible.org. And then, as we find ourselves released from this quarantine, we will be meeting together here in Hercules. And for information, directions, and details, again, visit valleybible.org. And then, we invite you to come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Blessed be the name.